Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern Bay sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, the NFL, the MLB, the NBA, tennis, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions here on episode 101. One, two, three, four is how you count to four. Four is how many sets of downs you have in successful, you know, set of downs in football, which Tom Brady seemed to forget in the Thursday night football game. But that's okay, because we all make mistakes. Here on the 8311 cast, we will have more than four segments to bring you today, starting with my favorite segment, Cyclone Football. Yes, there was a big Cyclone football game on Saturday. And, you know, the thing about football is that there are so few games that every game is big. Um, It was a big game. And the Cyclones once again came out victorious with a 31-15 to win over the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And Kyle will fill you in on some more of the details. Yeah. Uh, So I like spewing a bunch of stats, especially for our – uh the killer bees that we have on our team this year uh Brees Hall was fantastic again uh he had 27 rushing attempts for a buck 35 and two touchdowns uh one of which he went leaping into the end zone and another on another run he actually hurdled another defender uh on his way to a five yard average for the day after this game he is now sitting in second place well, I, so he's second in the nation in rushing. Uh, with He's already accumulated 531 yards uh, on the season, well on his way to a 1,000-yard rushing campaign. He is also second in the nation in rushing touchdowns with eight. He's trailing Alabama's Najee Harris, who had a five-touchdown performance this week, uh, by two touchdowns. So... Brees Hall has just been fantastic, uh, and especially behind a battered and beaten offensive line that Iowa State is playing with. Brock Purdy was surgical uh, this week in his attack against the Red Raiders. He was 32 of 43 uh, for 302. He was 70%. He had a 70% completion percentage on the day, two passing touchdowns both two tight ends, one to Chase Allen and the other one to Charlie Kohler. And he also scampered for 42 yards on seven rushing attempts in this game as well. While the offense was good, the defense was better. Uh, Through the first, what, three and a half quarters of this game, the defense did not allow any points. The only points that came uh, in this uh, game up until that point was a – Blocked field goal return touchdown. Um, Yeah, so the special teams woes continue to hurt the Cyclones this year. Uh, Iowa State only allowed 15 first downs. At one point in this game, they had allowed less than five while they had already over 15 in the game on the offensive side of the ball. Texas Tech throughout the entire game was 0-10 on 0 for 10 on third down. That is a huge statistic for the Cyclones that no matter what the distance was, the Cyclones were always able to get off the field. They did allow one fourth down conversion uh, against the Red Raiders on the day. Um, And with that, they also had two sacks in the game 
but also did not force a turnover in uh it was just a great overall game the defense was flying to the football i felt like mike rose or vance and uh mcdonald were just there making plays and making stops and this defense continues to look very very good and we are going to nice defense in some big games coming up here down the street yeah i just want to second that point about the defense um so Really, Texas Tech's only sustained drives of the entire game came in garbage time after um, after they had benched Alan Bowman and put in what's the other Columbe, something like that, Columbi, whatever their backup quarterback's name is. His name is Henry Colom- Columbi, C-O-L-O-M-B-I. Yeah. Th- thanks, Kyle. You, you, help, you helped me really out with that pronunciation there. Well done. You're welcome. <laughs> Hey, but um, I got his first name right. <laughs> I didn't even – I wasn't even going to try his first name. So, um, yeah. So, right, so the defense, right, obviously they game plan for Bowman and they executed it, right? They were disrupting the quick – Texas is a – Texas Tech, excuse me, is a quick pass offense, right? We saw that early in the game um, where the plan for Texas Tech was quick slants, runs, quick screens, things like that. And Iowa State came ready for them. They were either forcing incompletions or tackling really, really well early in that game to hold them to three, four yards on a quick slant, right? That's a win. Win every time if you can do that on a quick slant. And what that did is because the offense got out to such a quick start along with that is we just forced Texas Tech to basically had to abandon their game plan. Um, And Alan Bowman just couldn't figure it out. Um, The defense played so well. Uh, the other point I want to make about the offense is, at least to me, the game plan against Texas Tech's defense early was clear. And that was get the ball outside in space and then let your players run, right? You saw so many, like, sweeps and tosses and wide receiver screens, right, early in that game, just trying to get the ball on the perimeter of Texas Tech's defense. And it paid off. The Cyclones had two incredible drives to uh, start the uh, – start the game. One ended up in that blocked field goal returned for a touchdown. And the other, of course, was an Iowa State touchdown. I think this was just a really great executed game plan um, by the Cyclones, both offensively and defensively. So credit the coaching staff for that. Um, very well put together, very well executed, and all around great performance. I think one thing that the coaching staff needs to still address it going forward, especially in two weeks for one of the biggest games so far this season for the Cyclones is the Cyclones are still finding a way to shoot themselves in the foot at times where it matters a lot. Like the first drive of the game, they had a touchdown to uh, Chase Allen. The unfortunate thing is uh, Skates was lined up covering the uh, tight end on the line, Chase Allen, which resulted in a ineligible receiver downfield. It, you just can't have some of those, especially like lining up improperly, especially when you go on the road now for a huge Big 12 matchup. Uh, you can't have those mistakes, and that ended up turning into a potential game-altering um, momentum swing with that block field goal return for a touchdown, right? Usually when you see that happen, you see teams collapse. 
Fortunately, the Cyclones didn't, and obviously Texas Tech was not at their best uh, in this game. Credit the defense and the defensive coaches for a great plan and scheme for this game, but I'm not sure that's something you can do against Oklahoma State coming up in two. Yeah, and, and that fumble deep in your own territory too, right? I mean, you, you texted me after that happened. You're like, that's the kind of thing – we're dominating this game. That's the kind of thing you can't have happen, right? You can't have those things that swing momentum so easily like that are the things you just can't have happen in games like Was, this. Wasn't that coming right out of halftime maybe? Or, I, I forget when it was. It was either coming, coming out of halftime or we were only up by 14. You have something like that happen against Oklahoma State, a much better team, a more opportunistic team. They will take that and they will carry that momentum. And that is something that can kill morale on your sideline and absolutely crush any momentum that you had going into a game. The Cyclones are going to need every bit of momentum that they can uh, going up against a top 10 Oklahoma State team in two weeks. Yes, they will. And uh, yeah, like Kyle said, um, the, the Cyclones, well, he didn't say this, but he implied the Cyclones are on bye next week. Um, so there'll be no Iowa State game next week. Iowa State gets two weeks to prep for Oklahoma State. Um, the game is going to be played in Stillwater. Um, this game, it'll be a 2.30 kickoff on Fox. Um, Oklahoma State is actually going to have three weeks to prepare for Iowa State in the end. Oklahoma State was on bye this Saturday and had their game against their scheduled game against Baylor for next Saturday rescheduled to December 12th because of COVID. Um, Baylor has a large outbreak. I think I saw 48 football players or staff members now at Baylor have tested positive for COVID. So um, Oklahoma State's now going to have three weeks to rest up and prepare for Iowa State coming to Stillwater. Um, if Iowa State wins this game, they are going to be the favorites to win the Big 12, right? Like, you'd, you'll have already beaten Oklahoma and Oklahoma State at that point. 4-0 in conference, you'd definitely be the favorites to win the Big 12. Is this, is this game coming against Oklahoma State the biggest game, the biggest conference game of the Matt Campbell era? Well, didn't we say that against – or when we played uh, Texas on the road, what was that, two years ago two now? Two years ago, yes. That, that we said that, that might have been – that yep. might have been the equivalent, um, I would say. Now, that game was a little bit deeper into the, into the season, so right. I mean, if, there if was a little that, less certainty or a little more certainty that if you win that game, you control your own destiny. Here, if you win this game, yes, you do control your own destiny, but – in such a wild season, wild year of what we've already seen, there's still a lot that could happen, but this is a huge, huge football game. You, you said a lot of words there, but none of them were answering the question. I, I think it's probably the biggest, yes. Wyatt, what about you? Which one, do you think this is the biggest game of the Matt Camp, biggest conference game of the Matt Campbell era? I don't know. If you're talking about it in terms of actually potentially winning the Big 12 uh, title, maybe. But on the other hand, what does the Big 12 title really mean this year? I mean, Oklahoma's, point. you know, Oklahoma's bad. Texas is bad. Like, well, what, what's, you know, what's it worth? Yeah. Well, okay, let me, give I, you, let me give you the two cents here that I have. When Oklahoma and Texas are bad, like you said, 
Let's look at the SEC. If Alabama and Georgia are bad in the season, do you discredit another SEC team for winning the SEC title? I mean, you know my thoughts on Alabama, so I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you there. I, I'm, just ask, I'm just proposing that question. Like, everyone looks at Oklahoma and Texas, rightfully so, as the kings of the Big 12. I guess you should say Oklahoma more so than Texas because Texas keeps claiming they're back, but I, all I see is losses. Um, and, but you have to look at it in other conferences. They're perennial teams. Okay, take the Big Ten. If Ohio State and Wisconsin or Ohio State and Michigan, whoever, I don't follow the Big Ten enough, but if Ohio State is bad in a season and Penn State or Minnesota wins the Big Ten, do you discredit their win? I don't think so, and the reason why that isn't entirely clear to me because it seems like the the three other major Power Five conferences, you know, not the Pac-12, um, has its own kind of, um, I, I don't know what to call it, kind, kind of royalty. It's like they're always good. They're, those are like the pristine conferences of, of the Power Five, right? The Big 12 isn't really looked at that way, I don't think. The, the Big 12 is looked at in how you do in comparison to Oklahoma. When Oklahoma doesn't do well, you know, what's it mean? I could be wrong with that analysis, but that's just what it seems like to me. Like when you're watching TV, you know, everything's always great with the Big Ten. doesn't matter who really wins. It doesn't matter who's really good or bad because the conference itself is good. The Big 12 isn't really looked at as being good. So, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, it, so it's I, something to chew on, for sure. Yes. But going back to the original question, I'm going to say that no, this is pro- – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the argument that this is the third biggest conference game of Matt Campbell's tenure coming up. First is that Texas game, right? Because if you win that game, you're in the Big 12 championship. You, you are, right? Win that game. That's the biggest game. Second, I'm going to argue that the TCU game, um, what would that have been, three years ago? Three coming years after, ago. Coming after beating Oklahoma, that TCU game against homecoming. I'd say that was the second biggest because then it was up to, up to the team to prove that they were real. You just beat Oklahoma. Was that a fluke or were you for real? Right? I, I think that was the second biggest game of, of, of the Matt Camp, conference game of the Matt Campbell era. Yeah. So I would say this is the – if this game was coming, you know, in the last couple weeks of the season. Two or, two or three weeks out from the championship game. Right. Then my opinion would be different because, yeah. you know, you'd have it right in front of you. But like you said, with so much that can happen after this game still, I think it's probably the third most important conference game of Matt Campbell's tenure. Either way, it is a very important game for the yes, Cyclones uh, as Iowa State – Oklahoma State and K-State are the only undefeated teams in conference play in the Big 12. And just a note, K-State did uh, lose their starting quarterback for the rest of the season. Uh, He is requiring surgery for an injury. Uh, So we'll see how K-State bounces back from that. Uh, Mike alluded to some, uh, a COVID outbreak that has struck Baylor uh, and COVID continues to make waves and headlines in the NFL as eight games in total uh, have already been rescheduled Uh, this week. I will run through them quickly here for you all. Denver Broncos at New England Patriots. uh, The game will be played in week six next week on Sunday, October 18th. That was pushed back from Monday night football. 
Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs at Buffalo Bills in game six was moved from Thursday night this week to Monday night uh, because the Bills game was continued to be pushed back. The New York Jets at Miami Dolphins game moved from week 10 to week six. The New York Jets at Los Angeles Chargers game was moved from week six to week 11. Jacksonville Jaguars at Los Angeles Chargers moved from week eight to week seven. Los Angeles Chargers at Denver Broncos moved from week 11 to week eight. The Chargers at the Dolphins moved from week seven to 10. And the Dolphins and the Broncos moved from week six to 11. You notice a trend of the Dolphins, Chargers, and Broncos all moving around a bunch. This is all a domino effect from the Denver Broncos versus, or against the New England Patriots game being pushed back. Uh, and just a note for you and for, or for our listeners and for their favorite teams, don't expect your team to have a traditional bye week. This, as your bye week, your team will most likely end up playing and a week where they thought they would end up uh, playing, they probably will practice all week and then end up having a bye week. That's just how this season is going. So, Yeah, it has been crazy because of COVID. It has done a lot of things to this season. But in general, there have been a lot of rescheduled, but we've only had two games that were scheduled to be played that haven't been played in their given week at this point. Last week's Bills-Titans game and this week's um, Broncos-Patriots game. So the only two games that have not been played their regularly scheduled week. Um, so in general, I think things are going well in the NFL. Um, we had another week of very exciting action across the week, the league, I think. Um, the most exciting game this week, believe it or not, I think belongs to the Minnesota Vikings and Seattle Seahawks on Sunday. hundred percent. That was the best game of, um, this, outside of maybe the Chiefs versus Raiders. Yeah. This game was back and forth the entire game. The Vikings absolutely dominate the first half, up 13 to nothing at halftime. Seattle has a total of about 75 yards of offense in the entire first half. Um, the Vikings just dominated the first half. Um, the third quarter belonged to Seattle. They scored 21 unanswered points, including on two short fields after a Kirk Cousins fumble and a Kirk Cousins interception. Um, and that was 21, 21 points in under two minutes. Yeah because they had two short fields on the, the, the turnovers from Kirk Cousins. Um, and it looked like the Vikings were going to lay down and die. But then in the fourth quarter, the Vikings come back to score a touchdown. And then on the next possession, pick off Russell Wilson. Um, so the Vikings have the ball. They're starting that drive at their own. Let's see. They started that drive at their own. What is it? Oh, sorry. At Seattle's or at midfield. So they started that drive at midfield up by six, um, no, up by five, sorry, up by five with the ball at midfield, right? Score points, and you're in really, really good shape there um, with five minutes left in the um, game. And the Vikings drive all the way down to Seattle's five-yard line, um, and they end up having the ball at the two-minute warning, um, fourth and half a yard, from Seattle's five. So Mike Zimmer has the choice between kicking the field goal to go up eight or um, going for it. And um, if you make that first down, Seattle only had one timeout left, so it's the ball game, basically. You win if you get that first down. Uh, Mike Zimmer chooses to go for it. Um, this 
I don't know what I thought of the decision at the time. Um, I crunched the numbers or somebody else crunched the numbers for me and I saw them. So independent of results, right? Um, choosing to go for it there gives the Vikings a 98% chance to win the game and choosing to take the field goal there gives them a 97.8% chance to win the game. So basically it's a push. Either way, the Vikings should win that football game more often than not. Um, they choose to go for it. They fail. Um, they hand the ball. I question the play call. Anyway, they fail. Russell Wilson leads a 95-yard drive for the Seahawks to score the game-winning touchdown with 15 seconds left, including converting two fourth downs, um, including the touchdown pass, and Seattle wins that game. Um, you can't really fault the Vikings' defense for that. They held the Seahawks to 314 total yards. The Seahawks were 0 for 7 on third down in this game. Um, they only possessed the ball for 20 minutes and 32 seconds. Um, they only gave up the 27 points on the game, but like I said, 14 of those were on really short fields because of Kirk Cousins. Boy, that one just hurts. That's a game you gotta you got to win. That one just hurts. It was a heck of a game, though. Fun to watch. Incredibly frustrating for a Vikings fan. The Vikings are only the second team in NFL history to have two one-point losses in their first five games. They also lost by one to the Titans, too. Frustrating season to be a Vikings fan. Yep. Uh, and on the flip side, well, it's been a pretty good season so far for the Chiefs, but they did have a hiccup uh, in their chase for a repeat if they're, that's what they're trying to do. Uh, they end up losing at home to the Las Vegas Raiders for the first time, I believe, since 2010. Uh, and they didn't end up winning a game that they should have. Uh, there were a lot of miscues, mistakes um, in this game, actually really for the past two weeks that finally caught up to the Chiefs. Um, there, were, there was one pass interference penalty that should have been called on a possible Tyree kill touchdown, but uh, it's said and done. That doesn't matter now. Uh, the Chiefs do lose a huge piece of their offensive line. Kalichi Osemele, the former Iowa State Cyclone, uh, tore tendons in both of his knees, uh, really on a non-contact play while he was running downfield trying to make a block. Um, which is unfortunate for him. So the Chiefs will be having a patchwork offensive line for the rest of the season. And yeah, it, it's just a game that they should have won, especially a divisional game. Um, Patrick Mahomes ends up losing his first game by more than seven points in career. Uh, so he up to this game, up to this point, he went 40 consecutive starts without a loss of more than seven points. The defense gave up more points than it had all season coming into the game. The Kansas city chiefs defense was the only defense in the league to get to allow fewer than 20 points um, in their first four games. of. So there's a little bit of work to be done as they get ready to face the, as we speak, undefeated Buffalo. Other happenings around the league. Um, we already mentioned Tom Brady forgetting what down it was on the Buccaneers' final possession as they fell 20-19 to 19 to the Bears. Um, the Dolphins came out and absolutely ambushed and bludgeoned the San Francisco 49ers, this, um, 43-17 to 17 for the Dolphins. I think that was the biggest surprise of the week, was just how much the Dolphins dominated that game. They were up 14 to nothing before I even knew what was going on in that game. So just an absolute domination. 
Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was, just to mention this, he was pulled in this game. Uh, it wasn't due to performance. Kyle Shanahan called it a load management issue. They knew that he was going to have to throw too much on a already uh, injured ankle. And San Francisco has a brutal stretch coming up here uh, started or with games against the Rams, Seahawks, and uh, a couple other very good teams uh, in the NFL. So they have a tough stretch ahead. The Cowboys won, but it came at a cost. Um, they, the Cowboys like to play games close this year, uh, but the big news of the day was the Dak Prescott injury. If you saw it live, you know that it wasn't good, uh, especially when his foot isn't facing the direction that it should be. He was immediately taken to a nearby Arlington hospital and had surgery that night for a compound fracture. Um, they are obviously concerned about the um, possible – uh, infection that comes from that, as we saw from an Alex Smith injury two years ago, uh, so they will be monitoring that. Speaking of Alex Smith, everyone watched cautiously as he played his first snaps in the NFL since that aforementioned compound fracture. It was the first time he played in an NFL football game in over 600 days. Um, it's signed, sealed, delivered, whatever you want to call it, NFL Comeback Player of the Year. It is Alex Smith's um, award this season as he miraculously came back. And Joe Theismann, as we all know, had the same exact injury. He was uh, tweeting about how miraculous his comeback is and how inspiring it was. So good for Alex Smith. He is, he's a great man, great ambassador for the game. The Atlanta Falcons wasted no time after dropping to 0-5 to announce the uh, firing of their head coach, Dan Quinn, as well as their general manager. Um, so Atlanta, after looking abysmal, uh, well, actually showing some flashes, but actually having no ability to maintain um, leads or actually win football games, they make some changes at the top. Yeah, it's amazing how far they've fallen after they came that close to winning a Super Bowl. It's amazing how quickly that, that team has fallen off. Feel bad. I feel bad for them. Well, it it just goes to show that, that there's not a whole lot of stability in the NFL. No, there's not. That is stability is definitely. Um, yeah, there are def, there's definitely a pecking order starting to take shape in the NFL as there normally is as far as divisions go. Um that NFC West is really, really good, I think, is what we've learned. When the 49ers are in last place in that division at 2-3, and three, um, that division is really, really good. Um, other than that, uh, the NFC East is garbage. Um, the Cowboys at 2-3 and three are leading that division, and they're going to be without their starting quarterback for the rest of the year. Um, no one in that division has a positive, uh, what are you going to call it, Point differential, yeah, we'll call it point differential. Score differential, um, they're all negative score differential in that division. Um, and over in the AFC, um, boy, I think the AFC is pretty top-heavy. I mean, you've got still three undefeated teams in the AFC with, uh, with three more teams sitting at four and one. So the AFC is certainly, uh, especially the AFC North, with four four-win teams in the AFC North. 
um, they're off to a really good start there. So be interesting to watch, and we'll keep an eye on it as we go forward. There can't be four four-win teams in the AFC Sorry, North when you have four the Cincinnati win. Bengals there. Sorry, so. I meant to say three. Three four-win teams. There you go. The there you go. The Cincinnati Bengals Actually, do not have four wins. The, so – the Cleveland Browns, as you mentioned, they're off to – they have won four consecutive games. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they match up against the Steelers and the Ravens uh, going forward in that division after the Ravens slaughtered them in – Yeah, but four wins. I mean, yeah, I'd much rather be four and one than one and four as a Vikings yep. fan. So exactly. I, don't care. I don't care who you beat, win in the NFL. Much more important to just win in the NFL. Um, you know what else it's important to just win the major baseball league, the major league baseball playoffs yeah have, have the twins gotten that memo yet or are they still waiting for their snail mail yeah they're, they're still trying to figure out that winning is the goal of the playoffs they'll get there eventually sometime in my lifetime they will win a playoff game um just saying sometime in my lifetime um, over the last week, the division round finished up. We had the four series um, there as they entered the bubble. Um, the National League wasn't very exciting. The Dodgers and Braves both swept their series with little trouble. Um, in the American League, we had the Houston Astros beat the A's three games to one in their five-game series. Um, and then in the most exciting series, um, of the round was definitely played um, between Tampa Bay and the Yankees with Tampa Bay taking that series three games to two. And that game seven was just phenomenal. The home run off Chapman in the eighth to give the Rays a two, one lead in that game, just a phenomenal game played by the Rays. Uh, just a phenomenal game. Phenomenal. Series. Um, I enjoyed seeing the Yankees get eliminated as everyone on this podcast knows. I hate the Yankees. Um, so um, yeah, I, I'm glad to see them. And it gives me a team to root for. If the only four teams there would have been the Astros, Yankees, Braves, and Dodgers, I, I might have puked. I don't want to root for any of those four teams. At least the Rays give me somebody to root for here the rest of the way. So go Rays. Big Rays fan. Hopefully they can knock off the Astros in the ALCS round. In fact, they already have a one game to none lead on the Astros. Um, as the MLB playoffs are winding down, um, the NBA playoffs are over and Kyle is going to let us know how they ended. Yeah. So, uh, after a a absolutely impressive game five performance, uh, from Jimmy Butler to force a game six, the Los Angeles Lakers throttled, uh, the heat in the final game, LeBron wins his fourth NBA title in his career. Uh, that is three uh, with three different organizations. He won two at the Heat, one in Cleveland in his second stint, and now one in Los Angeles. Uh, Jimmy Butler has promised that the Heat will be back, and if he gets some help, I don't see why not. He was nothing short of spectacular in this series, averaging 22 points to, or 26.2 points per game. 8.3 rebounds per game, 9.8 assists per game, 2.2 steals per game in 43 minutes per game. Uh, he was the workhorse uh, for that Miami Heat. Speaking of workhorses, uh, we take a brief, uh, we talked briefly about the French Open as Rafa Nadal was 
dominant on the way to his 20th career Grand Slam title, which ties him for uh, second most all-time for Grand Slam singles titles, uh, and that ties him with Roger Federer. Uh, So both of them are still playing, still playing high-level tennis, and it'll be interesting to see if either of them uh, breaks each other's record now or if they end up just battling back and forth and end up tying in that record in that regard. Uh, Overall, it is his 13th win at Roland Garros, which is by far a record. I am not sure that that will ever be broken, especially in my lifetime. Uh, 13 wins at a single grand slam is impressive um, to say the least. He is he He's the king of clay for a reason. Yes, he definitely is the king of clay. And like Nadal is the king of clay, I am the king of rules. Um, And we are going to fill you all in on a rule that came into play um, or that I had people asking me about during the Cyclones game on Saturday. Um, So on that blocked field goal, I had a lot of people – asking on that blocked field goal you saw multiple texas tech players jump over iowa state um, linemen to block that field goal they were asking me um, if there should have been a leverage penalty called against the texas tech red raiders so i am here to fill you on leverage in a field goal Um, so in the college rule book we are going to look at article 11 sections b and d are the two we're going to look at for this rule. So the, the, the rules of those, um, the rules in section, Article 11, Section B state, it is a foul if a defensive player moves forward and tries to block a kick or apparent kick on a field goal or try by leaving his feet and leaping into the plane directly above the frame of the body of an opponent but it is not a foul if the player was aligned in a stationary position within one yard of the line of scrimmage when the ball was snapped. That's the key um, part of that, um, that last sentence. It is not a foul if the player was aligned in a stationary position within one yard of the line of scrimmage when the ball was snapped. If you look, there were three players that uh, tried to jump over the line of scrimmage um, and but all three of them were stationary at the time of the snap, so they did not violate Article 11, Section B. The other one um, for leverage was Article 11, Section D, which states that no defensive player in an attempt to block, bat, or catch a kick may, may step, jump, or stand on a teammate, place a hand or hands on a teammate to get leverage for additional height, or be picked up, elevated, propelled, or pushed by a teammate. Um, So if you look, um, you see there is no contact of that type between Texas Tech players on that field goal attempt. So although live, it definitely looked like there was probably leverage on that play upon reading the rule book and inspecting the video, at least in my opinion, there actually was no leverage on that play. Wyatt, do you agree with that interpretation, having heard the rules? Yeah, I agree. Obviously, the first uh, was a section C that you listed out first. It definitely wasn't that. That's to protect against somebody lining up five yards back, running right before the ball snapped, and then jumping over the line. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the second section, Part D, is where you would probably see something like this called in. 
Uh, if you look actually at the replay, number 54 is the guy that you, you most likely see called for leverage on this. But the way that he actually jumped across the the, the line, he jumped kind of more um, perpendicular to the line of scrimmage rather than complete, going completely vertical. He's going more horizontal. He's not really using his arms to propel himself upwards like the rule states, but his arm is on a teammate. So that might be where somebody would be like, oh, it's leverage, obviously. He never actually used that as as leverage to get himself vertical. I'm not sure his arm was on a teammate there. I think on the one angle, it looks like it might have been, but if you compare the different angle there, mm-hmm. I think his arm is actually just in front of his teammate, actually on the back of the Iowa State offensive lineman, which is legal as long as he was stationary at the snap within yep. a yard of the line of scrimmage. It is legal in that case. Yep. So, I totally that agree. Was his teammates back penalty for leverage, but because that was his, um, right. You actually see that was a really good play by Texas tech, right? Cause you had the two players basically belly flop onto the back of the Iowa state offensive line. So they couldn't get up. And then the third used those backs to push off and get the height to block the kick. That was actually a really good um, use of the rules and very much legal. Very good play by Texas Tech to block that kick. That was legal. So good. that was really good, really good design by Texas Tech. Um, moving right along to um, our write that down predictions segment. We have, um, about six predictions. It's actually seven. It's actually seven predictions coming off the board this week. Starting with one way back from Kyle when tennis was resuming, Kyle predicted that Rafa would win the French um, Open, which Kyle just told us he did. So ding, 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 ding. ding, ding. Josh predicted before the start of the NFL season that the Packers would start three and one this season. Um, they actually started four and oh, so unfortunately, we have to give Josh a for that prediction. Kyle predicted that the NBA would run a complete postseason, which they did, resulting in the Lakers championship. Ding 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 ding. ding. Um, Wyatt, after the special teams disaster against Louisiana, predicted that Iowa State would not give up another special teams touchdown. Um, I don't know if this is what you had in mind about Iowa State giving up another special teams touchdown, but it no. definitely counts. Yeah. So for that, you get a nah. Nah. Um, Garbage. I predicted that one team that would have not made the playoffs in a regular year for Major League Baseball would make it to the championship series. The Astros were that team. So I get a ding, 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 ding. ding. Um, I also predicted that Miami would win the World Series. They didn't put up uh, much of a fight against the Braves in the second round. Uh, so for that, I get a nah. nah. And last week, Josh predicted that, that Rodgers would throw for 275 yards, at least 275 yards, even without his top two receivers. He did. He eclipsed 300 yards in that game. So Josh gets a ding, 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 ding. So everybody had a right and a wrong prediction this week, except Wyatt, who just had a wrong one. Yeah, that's the way. Wait, goes. no, I had two rights. Oh, that's right. Kyle had two rights. Smile. Good for Kyle. Good Kyle, week for me. Another prediction that you maybe hope to be right up on the board here for us? Yeah, well, I don't know if I'm, like, hoping for this to be right, but after all of these shifts, I am a little bit suspect that there is much more breathing room in the NFL season and I'm going to say that the NFL will have to add at least 
an 18th week to the NFL season before, like before the postseason starts, playoff start. I didn't consider that. The, the the NFL has said it is a possibility. It's not yeah. what they want to do. They they but, have they said with this round that they are doing everything in their realm to not had, add an extra week to the season. Yeah, I, I'm not convinced it will happen. Even after they came out with that, I feel like there, there's plenty of days in the week. You know, um, I'd still give you. I mean, at least a triple though, right? This is somewhere between triple and home run territory. Triple is reasonable. Yeah. I don't think it's a home run just because the NFL has come out and said it's a possibility. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. That's all I wanted. All right, well, you got it. What do you got, Mike? Yeah, I'm going to keep uh, my streak of predictions of team I want to win the World Series, um, predicting that they will win the World Series. So, as I mentioned earlier, I'm now rooting for the Rays. So, my prediction is now that the Rays will win the World Series. I would like that. Uh, the Rays winning the World Series is a 23% chance, according to 538, with the Dodgers getting the best chance at a 54% uh, chance. The Rays actually officially just won game two, so they are up 2-0 in the series. Uh, and 538 updated stats give them a 66% chance to win the CS. Uh, this, this is pretty obvious. I don't get input, but this is pretty obvious. Home run, triple. So I, what was the what was the percentage? I got distracted. I couldn't 20, remember. Twenty three percent chance to win the World Series. Yeah, isn't that isn't that triple territory? Yeah, that's fine with me. I got off on a way tangent thinking about Joe Madden. I was like, what team is he with again? I had to go look it up because I forgot. Yeah. Also, for the record, I was only hoping for a double for that. So thank you. I appreciate the oh, I mean, that is triple territory, isn't it? Or am I wrong? I don't know. It's on the border. Like, yeah, it's it's the border. Yeah. Well, we'll, get, we'll give it to you. I want them to win. Let's go Tampa Bay. Right. It's I just the race. I don't like the the other football team there. Let's go um, my prediction, which is that I'm going to make it to our fantasy football playoffs. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so our fantasy football league, 12 team or 10 – what? I have 10 teams and six of them make the playoffs – um, so basically, Wyatt is predicting that um, he is not one of the four worst teams. So right now, according to on the ESPN Fantasy Football app, That's where it has cool. fantasy football trends, Wyatt's team is projected as the ninth place team in our league. Yeah, buddy. Right now. Um, but he does have the – what was that? He does have the um, – let's see. He does have the fourth most points. Of any team in the league, though this. Uh, Sorry, yes. Fifth in points. Fifth, fifth in points. Yeah, but first in points against, if that means anything. That means he's unlucky. Yeah. Uh, no, he's actually. Oh wait, no. Sorry, never mind. Never mind. Scratch that. That's the th- the third most points scored against him. Yeah. Um, boy, double, triple, double, triple. I. I don't know, because fantasy football, like my team, for instance, you can lose your two starting running backs in one week for six weeks. Yep. Uh, so Wyatt's going to win this week to move to two and three on the year. Uh, what were you looking for for this, Wyatt? Uh, probably triple territory. I don't expect this to happen. There's just kind of a, hey, I'm going to try. All right, well, I'll, sure. I'll say triple. Yeah, triple. Yeah, I don't really care, I guess, between I'll the say two. Triple. Okay, I like that. So – what do we have for Josh this week? Is he still alive? 
Yep, doing well, doing well. Um, he predicts that despite all the COVID outbreaks along the NFL, the Packers will have zero active players test positive for COVID this season. So I presume that means doesn't count practice squad players. Home yeah. run? Yeah, that's that's going to happen. I triple a home run. I think we should uh, triple just to be consistent. We can have all four triples this week. All right, sounds good to me. <laughs> See what I say? When and once again, Josh, Josh possibly gets screwed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's okay, though. So we got four triples. One, two, three, four triples. Not five triples, but four of them this week for our Write That Down Prediction segment, which means we're at the end of that segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to 311 Cast, episode 101. That's a lot of syllables. Signing off for the 311 Cast, we have your hosts. Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. And Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.